Can I just say, I love this church. I really love this church. What a warm, welcoming community you are. Um, you've been so hospitable to us. Your pastors have a depth of spirituality about them um, that is really refreshing. And so thank you. Thank you for your warmth and your, and your leadership here, which um, even by social media, we get to participate in a little bit. Um, so we're thankful for that. So thank you guys. We're here really to say thank you. Uh, you guys support us financially as a church, and it, we cannot do, we're, we're your extension. You guys do ministry in Latin America because of the way that you're uh, supporting us and, and praying for us, giving and that kind of thing. So we're here to say thank you for that. Uh, Wendy didn't, didn't um, talk a little bit about the church planting part, uh, which is also part of what we do. She talked about our uh, pastoral formation piece, the training piece, which is kind of at a continental level. But then in Central America, uh, we do we encourage the church planting process there in that Central American part, as well as doing local ministry in Costa Rica and um, the ministry there in our neighborhood. So you kind of think of our work as a target, and we have kind of different levels of responsibility in each thing. The church planting, uh, in the last eight months, we have planted uh, over, eight, uh, over 300 churches. We're excited about that and in Latin America, and in, uh, we've enrolled over 800 students in the leadership development process. This is a new process that we've been working on for the last two years, and its, it's early implementation looks great. So we're really excited about that. Maybe uh, after you go to Togo, you can come on down and see us in uh, Costa Rica or in Latin America at some point. It would be a, a blessing for us. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what we're here for, uh, is to say that. And uh, I wanted to share a little bit this morning from the scriptures, if you would allow me. Um, <clears throat> I want to start by talking a little bit about our entry into Latin America, because the last two years was kind of our first time living abroad. We've been on short-term missions trips before, and to Latin America. But usually, when maybe in my experience, when I thought about Latin America, you think of which country? Mexico, right? And so when you think of Latin America, you think of jalapenos, you think of tortillas, you think of uh, tamales that are wrapped in corn husks and, and a little bit drier. That is not... That's not the same across all of Latin America. Actually, the diversity of Latin America is maybe what has impressed me the most about our moving there. We live in Costa Rica, and they don't do spicy food as a rule. Um, they don't do tamales the same way. They wrap their tamales in banana leaves, and they're a little bit uh, moister, I guess, than, than the kind of, that you have in Mexico has a different flavor because that banana leaf gives you a different flavor. Uh, they don't have uh, tortillas for every meal. They have rice for every meal. Like who, what? So anyway, it was just different. So the food is different. The religion across Latin America is different. You think of Latin America, Catholic, right? And that's true, there's a Catholic heritage across Latin America is a Catholic heritage because of the Spanish and the, and the Portuguese coming over and settling it. But the way that that, that, uh, that religious foundation has, has built in different countries is completely different. So for example, in a country in South America called Uruguay, uh, it's 97% atheist at this point because of some Marxist influence and things like that that's happened. They've abandoned the Catholic. 
Um, in Peru, you have them building the Catholic faith together with the Inca religion, and you have a very spiritual uh, people uh, with Catholicism as part of that mix, along with some of the other religions. And Costa Rica is attempting to secularize um, and because, well, it's a too long of a story, but you're seeing a Catholic faith, but maybe nominal, like maybe here in the United States, you hear people talk about, well, I'm a Christian, but there's no practices that go around that. So you have this broad range, culturally speaking. It's very diverse. Let's talk just for a moment about language because it's one of the best examples that I've seen. We live in Costa Rica, I've mentioned that several times now, uh, but the capital city is San Jose. In Costa Rica, if I were to draw a map, it would look a little bit like a parallelogram like this, and in the middle of that parallelogram is San Jose, it's in the mountain and three and a half million people out of the five million people live in the metropolitan area, okay? Not in San Jose proper, there are four major cities. Alavela, where most of our work is, Heredia, San Jose, and Cartago. So those four cities are in a corridor, um, probably, I don't know, 15 miles wide and 30 miles long, something like that. So it's a very small area. A lot of traffic, but I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, I'm talking about the language at this point. So we're at this language school in San Jose, that's that middle city, and all year long they're teaching us, um, they're teaching us how to conjugate verbs. So their verbs and their and their pronouns are together in Spanish. So you have to change the shape of the verb every time you want to say something. That's not really a good point. They have multiple ways of saying you. We have a way of saying you. We say you. Their, their ways of saying you have different levels of formality. So if you're going to speak to somebody that you're trying to honor and respect, you're going to use the form usted. If you're going to talk buddies, you're going to use the form tu. Okay? Pretty standard if you go to uh, high school Spanish. So we're learning. In San Jose, just, well, we're learning both of those forms, but we're really focusing on usted, because the only time in San Jose you use the form tu is in prayer. And so they're just teaching us usted, 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 usted. Okay, and we're learning this. They said, you'll never use tu. So we didn't really use it that much. We didn't use that form. Turns out, I was up, in Alajuela, where most of our work is, and I'm listening to the pastors talk to me, and as they're talking to me, I can tell they're not using usted. I can't tell what they're using, but they're not using usted. And so on the last day of school, I go over and I say, what, what are they saying to me? And there's a third way to say you. And that word happens to be bos, V-O-S. The point is this. When I learned that, what I learned was that in Alajuela, remember this is a 30-mile-long corridor. In Alajuela, they use this verb, or this pronoun, bos. In San Jose, they use usted. And in Cartago, they use tu. <laughs> so when they're saying to me that in San Jose, you only use usted, they're talking about in San Jose, not in Costa Rica, not in the whole... There's so much diversity 
in Latin America, sometimes it makes me want to scream. Ah, how am I going to do this? You know, somebody coming in from the outside, how do I learn this culture? How do, these cultures, how do we do this? And diversity then starts to feel a lot like a curse. All right, Genesis chapter 11. We get to where did all these languages come from? And really, if you were to expand that thought of Genesis 11, you're thinking about how the diversity, you know, how does, how does how did diversity happen in, in human civilization? It's the, it's the story of the Tower of Babel. I'm not trying to, I forgot to mention that. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. So there's the creation in Genesis 1, the fall, Genesis 2 and 3, where we see sin enter the world. In Genesis uh, 5 through 10-ish, you have the story of the flood, because the earth had gotten so sinful that individuals had started becoming violent with one another and these kinds of things. And then after, after Noah, you have the reinitiation of, of um, human civilization. And what did they do? They said, hey, if we build ourselves a tower that reaches heaven, then we can just be established here, we'll make a name for ourselves, we're going to be good. Okay, so that's the story of the Tower of Babel. Well, this is the first instance of sarcasm that you're going to find in the Bible, because right after they say, hey, let's build ourselves a tower that reaches heaven and we're going to make ourselves great, you hear God saying, hmm, why don't we go down there and see what those little people are doing, <laughs> is essentially how you would read the scripture there. And so, uh, you know, God coming down, and you guys know the story probably, the Tower of Babel is the place where God says, I'm going to confuse their languages. And I've always read that as a curse. We're going to confuse their languages. This is a curse that God has. But as I was reading it again, especially in light of going to uh, this, these multiple cultures that we have down in Latin America, I'm sorry, I am, I am too ADD to let that, to let that go. Doesn't bother me. I love having the babies in here. This is awesome. You guys have so many babies and kids. But if I get distracted, if it doesn't bother you, it's not bothering me. So I love it. Um, Tower of Babel. You think of this as a curse, right? Do you know what? In Genesis 1 through 10, there are seven instances of the Hebrew word curse. The Hebrews know perfectly well the word for curse. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it does not show up. The sending of people out is not a curse. The, the, the diffusion of language is not a curse. I think of it this way. In Genesis chapter 1, I hope I'm not bouncing around too much for you. This would be more helpful if I had my notes in front of me. It would be more linear for you guys. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, the very first command that God gives to all of humanity is be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and then take care of it. It's essentially what he's saying. Steward the earth. But you've got to get out there before you can take care of it. So Genesis 11 when the people say, hey, we're going to stick together here, is in direct opposition to what God has told them to do. He's told them to go out, fill the earth, and they've said, no, we're going to stay right here. By the way, we're going to build this big tower. And God says, no. Now, let's go back to the idea of the curse. When he comes down and he gives them all different languages and he scatters them abroad, 
That's not a curse. That's a way for him to get his tasks done, his job fulfilled for them. It's a tool. It's a good thing. I think of it this way. On Sunday mornings, we uh, turn on YouTube and listen to Christian music while we're getting ourselves ready to go to church. That's kind of our family's thing. And every once in a while, I'll, uh, I'll go out into the living room and I'll see the kids doing this, you know, because screens are eye magnets, like they get stuck, eyes get stuck on the screen. So I'll see them like this, their shoes aren't on, their hair's not combed, they obviously haven't eaten, and they're sitting there like this watching the, watching the music videos. Like, guys, we gotta go in like five minutes, what are you doing? And what do I do? I go over and I... Okay, some of you, yeah, some of you have had kids, you know that. I, I turn off the TV, it's not a punishment, but we've got to get somewhere. We've got to get from A to B, so I need to turn off that screen as a tool, more or less, to get my kids scattered to the bathrooms to go and get themselves cleaned up and get ready to go over to the, to the kitchen. I think that's what God's doing in Genesis chapter 11. So diversity is not a curse. But I think that what we end up doing with it as a culture, as people, as sinful people, can become that curse. Sin is the curse, which, and which is the kind of driving factor for our destroying the good of diversity, right? So our, our experience of diversity becomes this sort of extreme tribalism, if you will. So the me against them, whether it happens to be a racism kind of a thing, me against them, or even uh, maybe vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, the whole vaccination, or Democrats and Republicans, uh, gay and straight, whatever the, the us and them becomes, whatever that diversity becomes, it becomes this uh, opportunity for an us versus them, a division, a fight. Whenever they win, we lose. You see, and whenever they win and we lose, whenever we have that kind of a, of a mentality about the diversity that we find ourselves in, we're in a, a sinful place. We're, we're set up, if you will, to become, and I'm going to use the word violent because it, we, we're set up to become violent. I don't mean that we're necessarily going to go out and punch somebody, but it, internally we're going to be at, at war, at conflict with another person. Uh, when we have that kind of mindset. Let's go back to Costa Rica for just a second. Three and a half million people in this tiny little corridor, and uh, traffic laws are merely suggestions. So I am driving in, in this scenario. Lots of, we call it motos, but little uh, motorcycles, zipping in and out, potholes as big as a VW bug. You know, the, it's the whole nine yards. I mean, they're generally good roads, but you've got this kind of thing happening in any city. You're going to have a, I guess we're, I'm in Michigan, like the popular capital of the world, right? Um, so same kind of thing that you would encounter, but maybe a little bit deeper. I'm set up in that with people cutting in and out and me trying to go from here to there. It's set up that I experienced people's violence towards my rights, towards whatever happens to be um, 
the lawlessness is the way the Bible reads. There's a, there's a scripture passage I want to bring to your mind. Because Jesus is speaking, and it's actually a parallel passage to what Ellie just read to us. It's a parallel passage in Matthew uh, chapter 24. And what Jesus says is, because in the end times, because of the increase of lawlessness, other translations say violence. Because of the increase of violence, or because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. And what I realized one day as I was, I was just getting bitterly angry towards whoever it was that day that happened to cut me off or, or pull in front of me, drive slow, or you know, make me feel fear for my life or fear for their life. What happened to me in that moment is that I realized because of the increase of violence or because of the increase of lawlessness, because of the increase of this, of this me against them, in whatever situation it is, I was probably looking at social media, uh, watching the Democrats bash Republicans and the Republicans bash the Democrats or whatever it happened to be. Even within our church, the Free Methodist Church, where you have this division of people who want this way of dealing with immigration versus that way of dealing with immigration, whatever it happens to be, all of this division increases violence slash lawlessness slash civil disorder, however you want to language it, and, I, and, that, and that word of Jesus came to me. In the end times, because of the increase of violence, the love of many will grow cold. And I realized I can't love that person if I'm mad at them. If that person cuts me off and my, and my response is, I'm so mad at you right now. I can't be Jesus to that person. I can't love them and be angry at them at the same time. If I feel violent toward them, can't do it. So I have to change. Something has to happen to me because I don't want my love to grow cold. Jesus goes on to say, but he or she who endures to the end will be saved. And I just thought about um, how it's hard when, you, when, when people are being unjust to you, taking your rights or whatever happens to be, it's hard to continue loving in that situation. And I think it was hard also for Jesus on the cross, suffering the greatest injustice, suffering the greatest violence against him. I, th I think it probably, humanly speaking, was hard for him. And I think of him on the cross and his response, and you guys know it, right? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And my response is, he knows perfectly well what he's doing. He's cutting me off, and he knows it. <laughs> and I think, well, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus, I mean, the Roman soldiers, they knew what they were doing. Jesus is saying, they just don't understand the consequences of living this kind of, this kind of life, because they haven't experienced this this deeper life of the spirit and experience the love and the joy. And you know what we have? We have. We don't have to respond in bitterness. We don't have to respond in anger. Because we can, uh, we can endure to the end in, with a warm heart, with love that endures to the end. He or she who endures to the end, like Jesus, will be, will be saved. If we can continue with this heart of Jesus, this forgiving love of Jesus. So that's what I've been working on. Um, especially when I'm driving, uh, is 
is how do I maintain a fresh, warm love for somebody that's taking advantage of me? And I, I'm going to stop there because this is, this is the answer. And I think that we're going to get there in just a minute. This table is the answer to how we respond to those that are that are violent against us, that, that if they win, if their position wins, we feel like we lose in some way. This is the answer to that. Keeping that warm heart, keeping on the cross, Jesus says, he, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they just don't understand the, the pain of the, of the choices that they're making, the pain for themselves, the pain for others, the alienation, from God and from each other, that, they're, that, that those actions are engendering. So let me leave that there, and, and as we come to the table today, um, maybe there's somebody or a group um, of somebodies that you can be reconciled with um, today, whether it's at an interpersonal level, you know, within the church, whether it's at a political level, if you need to, if you need to lay on the altar, uh, a, a sense of animosity towards uh, another group, whatever that happens to be, we can't, we can't love those that we're angry with. We can't minister to those that we feel animosity towards.